Right, I'm going to attempt to speak and click at the same time. I was never very good at step aerobics because of the coordination, so hopefully I'll be a bit better at this. Um, I'm wanting to talk about um, waiting and seeking, as it says there. And this is the verse, really, that's been the, the one that I've kept coming back to over and over again. And it appears again a bit later um, as I talk. And really, God's already been speaking to us about it, about what it means to seek him, what it means to dwell in, the house of, in his house all the days of my life, what it means to gaze on his beauty and to seek him in his temple. And I think for me, over the last few weeks, it feels like God's been doing some kind of waking up process in me about this. And that's what, really what I want to share with you. It's my journey, but I'm thinking and hoping that as I share what God's been saying to me, it'll be relevant to all of us and maybe something that he wants to say to us as a, a body of people. So... The journey started really with losing my engagement ring, which you might have heard me mention a few weeks ago. And when I was looking for it, it felt like God gave me a glimpse of his heart, really, for me. What it meant for him to come and to seek me. And it kind of got me questioning, really, how much do I seek him? I know he gave everything to find me, but how much am I giving to find him, to seek him. Am I seeking him like the woman who swept her house clean to find the lost coin? Am I seeking him like he's the pearl of greatest price? What, what's my positioning in that? And as I've been asking God, he's given me a new desire to seek him. And as John said earlier, it's his grace. And I'm really thankful that he's giving his grace to me to seek him. And the sense I have is it's like if you had some treasure in your back garden buried somewhere, you wouldn't just sit there and think, oh, that's nice, there's some treasure in my back garden. You would start looking for it. So I think part of his grace is that he gives us some things to do where we can go and look and seek him. Now, as I was contemplating this, one of my friends brought this word to me because I was a bit like, oh, I know God's got something that's, something stirring. I don't know what to do with it. And she said, okay, I think this is God's word. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him, which didn't really feel like it fitted with the seek him and sweep your house clean and, look, and the pearl of greatest price and all of that. So I'm saying, Lord, okay, do I rest or do I seek? Which? And he said, yes, both. So this is the journey. Um, I feel that I'm understanding a little bit more about waiting. And here is a word, Hebrew word, korvor, which means to wait, to look for, to hope, expect, to look eagerly for, to wait in faith. Interestingly, to bind together, like twisting. And um, one of my friends said to me, it's like being entwined with God. So that sense of being bound together with him. He's not distant. He's right here. And then the last one, which I was very intrigued by, to lie in wait for like a hunter. This is a farmer. You wouldn't think so. But um, 
my, my dad, I was talking to my dad about this because I remembered one of the things that he used to do on a very often on a cold, wet night in February was take his shotgun. Um, for those of you that don't know, my dad is a farmer. Just thought better. He doesn't just live around here with a shotgun, you know. So, um, yeah, my dad was a farmer in Yorkshire and he used to... Um, all the farmers used to be plagued by wood pigeons, which aren't the scraggy, horrible things you see around here. Quite plump, healthy-looking things, which like to feed on farmers' wheat and barley. So what you have to do is go and get rid of them. And so all the farmers have this custom. On a Friday night in February, you go to your wood or your field, and you sit there, and you wait for the wood pigeons to come and roost, and then you shoot them. Sorry if there's any animal bird lovers here, but really, 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 they were pests. Um, so, my dad was saying to me, you know, it was something you did, didn't really want to go and sit in the cold and the damp and the kind of dusk in February, but you did it because you needed to. You got ready, you got your right equipment, you got your gun, you got your warm jacket, trogged up to the woods, sat there and waited until dusk started to fall. And then you'd hear, the first thing you'd hear would be the sound of the wings as the pigeons came into roost. And so then you're listening. And he said what he was listening for was when the sound of the wings changed, because oh, he did the noise on the phone to me, but I, I really can't do that. But anyway, basically, there's a change. They fly in towards the wood. You hear that sound. And then as they're coming into roost, the wing beat changes. And you know at that point they're roosting. That apparently that's the best time to shoot them because they're not flying fast, they're settling down. So then you shoot. And he was saying, for it, the other thing that I thought was interesting, you didn't look up too early because they'd see the white of your face and then fly off. So you had to be really careful. You'd time it. And um, he said that he remembers when my granddad gave him a gun for his 16th birthday and he went off to the wood and he came back with 42 pigeons. He was really pleased because he'd waited for the right time. And I think there's something about that positioning, about that being ready, about that waiting, and the wholeheartedness. Because my dad was saying you didn't give up, you stayed until it was too dark to see, and you, you know, shot as many pigeons as you could because you didn't want them eating your crop. But... I think this thing about waiting is to do with having a hope and an expectation and a readiness to act. So the next thing is that God was speaking to me about is the seeking. So what does it mean to seek him? Well, another Hebrew word, borkash, to search out, to strive after, to ask, to desire, to diligently look for, to search earnestly until the object of the search is found. I, I like all of those, but then I especially like these next two, to seek the face. Um, you know, when you're wanting to see how someone feels about you, you look at their face, don't you? And hopefully what you see is quite nice, because they quite like you. But it's a, I think with God, we want to seek his face. We want that closeness, that intimacy. And the other thing that I thought was interesting, the last one, to seek is done by touching. So I don't know if that's like a blind person who sometimes would feel your face to get an indication of what you look like. 
the thing that immediately came to my mind was when I've lost something small and I think maybe it's gone under the sofa and I'm sticking my hand under the sofa trying to see if I can feel it. But it's that sense of um, a real intentional seeking. So what's the aim? Why am I seeking? Why am I waiting for him? Well, the first thing is... And the most important thing, I want to know him. I want his presence. I don't want to just get on with my life. So it's the same psalm, the same verse again. It's that thing about dwelling in his house all the days of my life. Not just some days when I feel particularly spiritual. All the days of my life, I want to know his presence. I also want to seek him because... He's more important than anything else. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Um, oh, no, I need to go back. Sorry. Um, Bill Johnson, in one of his sermons, um, said, for him, a good indication of where he's at with God is, you know that song we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And he said that line, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim, is like a plumb line for him. Ask that question to himself. Can I say that? Can I say that today, those things out there, getting the washing done, getting the kids to school, yes, they're good, they're valid, but are they dim in comparison with the light of Jesus' glory and grace. I think it's about being hungry and thirsty for him. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? It doesn't sound very casual to me. That thing about panting, the deer is desperate for the water. And I think there's something about I was asking God for that sense of desperation for him. If you haven't got it, you can't drum it up. This is his grace. But we can ask him. We can say, Lord, I do want to be desperate for you. I don't think this is working, Clive. Ah, this is. No, okay. Um... And then this, this one, Psalm 63. I've titled this The Push-Pull Factor, this bit, because I felt like God showed me something particular about this. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Well, if you're in a dry and parched land, you want to be in a place that isn't dry and parched. You want that water. And for a lot of us, I think, if we're in a place of desperation, we know we need God. We know we want him. And it's good and right to long for him. But then look at the next bit. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. 
So in the first bit, it's like he's been pushed away from the dry place into God. But in the second bit, he's experienced God. He's beheld his power and his glory. He knows his love is better than life. He knows that he's going to be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. And that feels to me more like a pull factor. And I'm wondering, for some of us, do we desire God when we're in that place of desperation, but then sometimes when we come into his fullness, do we lose that desire a little bit for him? Maybe there's something about knowing the fullness of God in the place that we're dwelling in with him right now. I think it's something that maybe God wants to show us a bit more about being satisfied in him, about beholding his power and his glory, about really being able to say his love is better than life. So why? Why should we seek him? Well, because he tells us to. And there's lots and lots of scriptures. That obvious one there from Matthew. Because I'm made to glorify God, and I will glorify him best when I know him more. And John Piper, I've probably all my friends have got bored of me saying this. Oh, John Piper says. But I think it's a really useful quote. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. So when people who don't know him can look at us and see that we're finding our full satisfaction in Jesus, then that glorifies him. I just have to have a drink of water. And then, I really like this quote from C.S. Lewis. So, you know, only he's enough. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Now, it may well not be... um, drink and sex and ambition. It might be all sorts of very legitimate or illegitimate thing, other things. But basically, if there's anything that I'm valuing more highly than living in the presence of God, it does mean that I'm far too easily pleased. So what's the difference then? if I'm going to be waiting on him and seeking him, as opposed to just getting on with life. Well, for me, I I think I can expect that I will live my life more intentionally. My life is going to be more focused on God. I'm going to be more aware of him. I'm not just going about my business, but I'm speaking to him. I'm listening to him because I'm aware of my need of him. I think my heart attitudes are different when my focus is on him as opposed to myself. And I I can expect to experience and display the fruit of his spirit in my life. So I can expect more love. I can expect more joy. I can expect more peace and more faith as I'm seeking him, coming into that place of his presence. And of course, that will overflow to the people around me. I personally 
feel the difference because I know that I'm not just doing life. I'm not just getting on. But there's a, that sense of coming out of the overflow and a sense of satisfaction in the things that I'm doing because they're things that he's giving me to do. I can expect to display more passion and less apathy because I'm more passionate about him and therefore more passionate about the things that he gives me to do. And I will communicate that to the people around me. Um, this one's a little bit dangerous. I become more willing to take risks. So when I'm focused on him, I'm hearing, why don't we try this or do this or speak to this person or pray for that person? And because he is uppermost in my, in my thinking, I'm more willing to take those risks. And I think life's more of an adventure. I expect to feel more joy. And it's interesting for me, just this last few weeks, just a greater sense of his joy. And like John was saying earlier, I think he expects, us, expects that we can live in his joy. Um, it reminds me, when I first became a Christian, I got involved with quite a disparate group of young people. The only thing that had, they had in common was that we were all really passionate about Jesus because we'd had this amazing encounter with him. We used to do mad things, and we used to get invited to go and... Because we lived in a very rural area. We used to get invited to go and speak in these sleepy chapels, Methodist chapels in different villages. And we used to go in, and, I mean, we weren't very sensitive. We were very enthusiastic. We used to sing... So my brother was learning to play the guitar, so that was quite interesting. So he would, you know, sometimes get it right and sometimes get it wrong. We'd sing very enthusiastically, give testimonies... And some people would be very impacted. And some of the old stagers that had been in those Methodist chapels for years and years and years were very disapproving. And I remember poor old Jack Slightome coming up and saying, all right, well, when you've been a Christian as long as I have, you won't be quite so enthusiastic. <laughs> and I remember just thinking, that's not going to happen. But... You know, I don't want it to happen. I want to be living in his joy. I'd rather make a few mistakes by try, you know, wanting to be passionate about Jesus than not you know, risk it and it's all very, very boring. And then the last one, which really sums up all of them, God will be more glorified. So as I'm seeking him, it's got to happen. He has got to be more glorified and that's the reason why I'm here. We are here. So... That's what we can expect. I wondered if it just might be helpful to have a few practicals, particularly talking it through with, with Grant, who likes to know what it means. What does that mean, practically? And I don't think this is necessarily for everybody, and I think the whole thing of remembering it's about his grace is so important. But these are some things that have helped or are helping me in this journey. So asking for his help to seek him wholeheartedly. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So I think we could ask him that he'll help us to seek him with all our heart. Um, he also says, uh, he also says in Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And apparently call, the word call means to cry out with a very loud voice. It's not kind of 
Oh, God, I'd like to seek you. It is a crying out to him. Um, Setting aside time to chat and catch that we've heard from uh, Rachel Turner to study and worship. Now, I have to say, for me, this is the biggest change that's happening. I have always been one of those. I talk to God as I am washing up. I talk to God as I'm driving the car. I talk to God as I'm doing all sorts of things, which I think is good and really, really right. But I'm finding more of a desire to sit down and spend time and look at the Bible and 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 think about what that really means and ask God to show me, what are you really saying here? And I can't just do that so effectively um, while I'm washing up, really. So even little things that might seem a bit silly, but having a nice notebook and having nice coloured pens, because I like stationery quite a lot, um, helps. It just helps. It's just a practical thing that I... I'm finding is helping me. Um, reading, reading not just the Bible, but books, testimonies about um, people who've found God in various ways. Um, time with friends, that's really important for me. The time where you talk, and I have been talking quite a lot to quite a lot of my friends. So what does seeking God look like for you? How, what's the difference between when you're seeking God and not seeking God? And it's that kind of conversation that stirs things up for me and I think for a lot of us it's easy to get caught up with the you know oh my child's having a terrible time at school which is also really important but if it's only ever just that or you know what shop you like to shop at if it's only ever that we don't have that iron sharpening iron effect on one another and testimonies um when, when we're talking to our friends, testifying about what God's done, not being afraid to be too spiritual with one another, praying with one another, asking God to search my heart, to, particularly to soften my heart. Is there anything that's getting in the way, God, of me and you, and I want to deal with it quickly? Being thankful for what he's done and what he's doing. I don't always have to see the end of the process, but being thankful along the way is is proving to be important for me. And then, obviously, being obedient to what he gives us to do. I think as we seek him, we can expect to hear him. We can expect that he'll be talking to us about things that he wants us to do. And, you know, we want to be obedient to him. So, I'm, I hope that's encouraging. I hope there's that, that sense of, yes, it's his work in us, but there's also ways, things that we can do to position ourselves to enable him to come and meet with us. Thank you, Sally. If it was possible to get to God by doing the things that Sally said, we wouldn't need God. I want us to understand what she's seen. Uh, she's talking about what we sometimes use the term a means of grace. If you want to catch a bus, it, it wouldn't really work to stand in the middle of Green Lane and sort of hold your hand up because the bus may just drive right over you. What can you do? Well, you can sit here and you say, I want to get a bus to Ilford. Or you could go to a bus stop. The bus stop is a means of grace. What she's saying is that positions that we can take 
that open the doorway. They are a means to his grace. Whether it's reading, praying, talking, having uh, iron sharpening iron sort of conversations, they are means to grace. And I want us to receive that exaltation, uh, to, to seize on those. There are those things which we do. We're totally reliant on God to bring us to himself. But he gives us those opportunities to respond to him. You know what happens to me? Every so often, from the deep and distant past, I get the line of an old song. Don't worry, it's not going to happen. But it expresses something that is in my heart. Oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face. There to sing forever of his redeeming grace. I stop there because I don't want it to be something that happens in some heaven on streets of gold and riding clouds and drinking cups of milk and honey and all that nasty stuff. I want it now to see him. Let's take a couple of minutes. Let's just receive what Sally has said. Let's just make our response to God. Mark's going to come and, and lead us. Maybe we'll use a song. And we're basically just saying, you know what? We do want your presence. We do want to see you. We, we want to see Jesus. We want to gaze upon your face. We want to come into that place of, of intimate connection with you. We want to turn aside from every blockage and every hindrance. We've recognized that God himself has made provision for us to come into this place. We cannot do it ourselves beyond just what we're about to do now. And that is seas and means of grace. One of God's ways to help us to access that place. We gaze upon his face.